privilege. Hey, I love it when God just really confirms what he's wanting to say, and uh, you'll find out this morning, uh, Simon shared some great scriptures and thoughts in his communion time, and it really lines up with what I'm sharing on this morning, which is uh, the fifth in the Kingdom of God series that I've been doing, and today it's uh, uh, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of purpose. Now, um, when I do staff reviews, one of, the, one of the questions I always ask my staff is, where do you see yourself in five years' time? The, uh, uh, when I started doing the one-on-ones with the church staff here, meeting with them weekly, and, and before the very first meeting, I sent them out uh, saying, tell me, I sent them out instructions saying, tell me what success looks like for you. Some of them really struggled with actually answering that, interestingly enough. Um, we, we know, I've just finished recently a leadership development course here at church, and I uh, plan to run that again next year. And one of the things that I started off as, as being one of the most important things to look at as leaders is, what is your vision? And I looked at it, you know, most of us will have been in some sort of training thing where we talk about vision and they say, you need to have smart goals. You know, smart goals, they are specific and measurable and achievable and all these things. But that's not the vision that I was encouraging the leaders and what I find is really helpful. Smart goals work, I find, really great when you're looking at something shorter term and you, and you know really where you're wanting to go. But when you start looking at five and ten and years out and beyond, I, I've found that, well, for me, that they don't work quite as well. What I find works really well when you start getting out that far is a vision picture. A vision story. What does your future actually look like? How does it make you feel? What are all the different elements and components that you see being there when you start looking out into, into your future further out. And one of the reasons I find that works really well is it starts tying into our emotion, and God made us emotional beings. And when we actually tie into our emotion, then it starts to actually give us that real passion and desire to keep heading in that direction. And when we have a clear understanding of uh, where we are going where we're heading, it is so much easier making the journey. It'll be easy to say yes to some things and no to other things when we know where we're going. Um, it'll be easier to actually go through the difficult times when we know where we're going. And we all have difficult times. You know, I haven't done a lot of exercise this week. It's been cold the motivation to get up hasn't been there. And one of the reasons for that is I haven't got an event that I'm training for. If I have something that, uh, something that I'm really going after, or something I want to achieve, then I get up in the cold and exercise. It motivates us knowing where we're going. And God has placed a vision story in front of each one of us. And he's made this part of his kingdom. You know, God planned for us before creation was even started. He purposed us during the journey of this creation, and he has prepared for us in the creation to come, the new heaven and earth. 
And look at this amazing verse from Ephesians. Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is a present verse. It means now. So right now, you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And verses like this I find are mind-blowing. You know, we, as, as we remember from a previous talk, we are eternal beings. People are the only things destined to survive this creation. Now there's a verse in Revelation 4, 6, I haven't got up on the board, but the Apostle John describes what he sees before the throne of grace. And one of the things he describes here is what looked like a sea of glass. And I imagine if I came from John's century, uh, which was in the first century, and I saw a massive flat-screen TV lying on the ground, I might think, that looks a bit like a sea of glass. It's the way that I might describe it. And so in my imagination, I can think that the sea of glass in front of the throne of grace is the ma this most massive, most advanced flat-screen um, TV that you will ever get. And then, then when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says there that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So just think of this possibility. The sea of glass could be a huge projection, projection area, and around there, in the, in the uh, throne room of God... When you look in Revelation, it says there's at least over 100 million angels in there. It's a big place. And there's probably just as many saints or more saints there. A great crowd of people can be witnessing what they're seeing in this screen, which could very well be a projection of all of history. So people from heaven could be looking down at us right now, cheering us on as we carry out our purposes in God on this planet. So think about that. A great crowd of witnesses in heaven are watching us right now. But remember, we are eternal creatures who will be in heaven when we leave this planet. That's... A, if we belong to Jesus. And time will have no meaning for us anymore. So think about this, because time has no meaning, and we can see all of history there, we could be included in that great crowd of witnesses who are looking down at us right now. You could be looking at yourself. Do you think you are happy with what you see? In heaven, you could be screaming out, good on you, Brenda, you're going for it. You know, we are already in Christ, in heaven, just as his spirit is in us on earth. And this type of thought for me is mind-blowing. And if you want to keep getting your mind blown, look at these next verses. It says in verse 4, For he chose us in him 
before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And do you get the implication of this verse? We were chosen before God even started creation. Think about that for a minute. You were chosen by God before he even started creation. Before God ever said, let there be light, he thought about you. He thought you would need Jesus before he even said, let there be light. God knew that we would need adopting. Just pause and take that in for a minute. God thought about you before creation. Remember, you are made in his image. You're of incredible value. He thought about you before he started creation. Let's go back to the analogy of the glass representing creation. All time, all space. We've talked about this in previous talks. Our sovereign king, in comparison, is everywhere. Everything outside of this glass. God is so, so much bigger than all time and space, this current creation. And his kingdom is so much bigger. And yet God is in and through all of creation. Here's a brief aside. I'm just going to get a little bit geeky for a second. I hope you don't mind. Physics was one of my favourite subjects at high school, and being an engineer, I have a fairly good understanding of things mechanical and how things work. Quite a few years ago, I decided to embark on a little bit of an interest study on quantum mechanics. <laughs> which really has a lot to do about understanding light, which scientists who studied quantum mechanics, they agree on one thing, no one understands quantum mechanics. But as, a, as part of that study, I discovered that scientists were finding smaller and smaller components that make up an atom. You remember at high school you learned that atoms were made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. But they actually discovered there's smaller particles again, uh, some of them are called quarks, that actually make up electrons and protons and neutrons. And I think there are six different types of quarks and three different colours. So... These make up, different combinations make up protons, electrons, neutrons, and various things. But what they also discovered as they're looking at this and, and, and they're theorizing that there must be some force that holds these things together. They don't know what it is, but they say that somewhere all through the atoms, all, all through space, there is some force that is holding them all together. And this comes to what Simon read earlier in Colossians where it says... He is but for all things, and in him all things hold together. Perhaps scientists are hinting at what the Bible has told us for years. Now, not only is God bigger than all creation, but he holds all creation together. No wonder that we can boldly say, there is nothing our God cannot do. He can shift atoms any way he wants. Now, 
Now, God's kingdom is where the king is and anything is possible when the king is around. God's kingdom is before creation, will continue on into the new creation. And our God, who is so big and powerful and holds the, the fabric of the universe together, chose us before the very foundation of this world. He planned for us before he made us, and we find our purpose in him. He made us in his own image and says that we are so valuable, we, that is mankind, are the only things that will outlast this creation, except, of course, God himself. So, with that introduction, as we continue to look at our foundational understanding of God's kingdom, Let's jump back into where we're up to in Genesis. And as we go through Scripture this morning, I hope we'll discover a vision story that inspires you, that will build up your faith, and that will keep you on track no matter what you are going through. So let's start. Genesis 2, and we're up to verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And chapter 1 gave an overview of the six days of creation. And I believe that these verses in chapter 2 provide us with more of a detailed view of day 6. Now, in day 6 of creation, God made the animals and he made man. And it says that he made mankind uh, in his image, male and female, he made them. And in these verses here that we're going to read, we discover a more of a detailed view of God making male and female mankind. We also remember we talked about how God gave authority to, to man as part of the blessing and covenant with man in chapter 1 of, uh, on day 6. And we go and see some of the, an application of that authority taking place in this chapter 2. Rulership being applied over animals. Verse 5 says, And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. So here's the thought again. Even before God created mankind, he was already thinking about us. Before Adam, he had already put purpose into his kingdom. He's saying, there is work to be done. I just need to come up with man to do it. He put purpose into the very foundation of this creation for us. You and I were made with purpose in mind. We were made for purpose. We need to understand the only place we will truly find our purpose is in Jesus. God predestined it this way. And if you want to discover your purpose, you need to go to Jesus to find it. Let's continue with the verses. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Another quick side thought. When we started our business in 1984, we uh, called it Pneumatic Services Limited, which is where the PSL from PSL Total Air comes from. Uh, the, and we deliberately uh, chose the word pneumatic. Uh, my dad was a fairly new Christian at that stage, and one of the things that we wanted to do, uh, we, we're a compressed air company, and the, word, the Greek word pneuma 
means wind, which of course is compressed air, but it also means spirit. And so we thought by putting the name pneumatic into, into the title of our business, it said two things. One is what we did, which was work with pneumatics, and the other one is that we were spirit-filled believers following Christ. We were pneuma people. Now, in, the, in this, uh, and that comes from the Greek word. Now, in the, the Old Testament wasn't written in Greek, it was written in Aramaic. And where it says uh, God breathed, they became a living being, the Aramaic word there has the same implication. It means wind or breath or spirit. God breathed spirit into man and they came alive. Remember, we're talking about our conquering king who fills empty places with life. And even now when we become followers of Jesus, God breathes his Holy Spirit into us so that we're born again. God fills us with life. Let's carry on. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden from where there, there it was separated into four headwaters. Then we go into naming uh, the four rivers that came out of that. And then at verse 15 it says... The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Again, we see man is given purpose in God's kingdom to protect and grow and develop his kingdom. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And biblically the name, biblically names also imply nature. And in the actual word usage here for name, there is an implication of nature as well in that. So we can say that it... Uh, have you ever... You know the saying, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Scripturally, which came first? The chicken. But here we could say, which came first, the nature or the naming? We don't, we don't know whether Adam named the animals because of the nature he could see, or he named the animals and it created nature, the, the type of nature of the animal. It could be a mixture of both things going on. The, the key is that God gave man the authority to determine the name of the animal. And so um, it's a demonstration of man working out of the authority that he'd given him in, in the kingdom. And as we start thinking about uh, these verses and that God gave us purpose before creation, remember what we started with that we actually need a vision picture of where we're going as well. And God has given us an incredible vision story in the book of Revelation. And I think it's a great time for us to pause 
and look at one of the many fascinating structures that, that exist in the Bible. You may not have realized this before, but the first three chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, have a parallel connection to the last three chapters in Revelation 20, 21, and 22. Genesis chapter 3 describes the fall of mankind. Sin entered the world. Revelation chapter 20, so sin entered the world, there's death, there's destruction that came from that. Revelation chapter 20, sin, death, destruction is thrown into the lake of fire and dealt with. No longer exists into the new creation. There's a parallel there. They are the first three chapters in the book of Genesis are like the capital letter of the sentence of creation, and the last three chapters of Revelation are like the full stop. They're like bookings of His story in this creation. And the last two chapters of Revelation, 21-22, reveal the new creation with so many parallels to our current creation. So uh, we're not going to read them all, or we're not going to read those chapters this morning. So when you get home, why don't you read those last three chapters of Revelation and just see what I'm talking about there. A bit of homework for you. But I'll, I'll just share a few of the quick parallels that you'll pick up. In Genesis, God said, let there be light in the new heaven and earth. God is the light. In Genesis, God started time by making day and night. In the new creation, time is no longer relevant as day and night no longer exist. In Genesis, God made a garden with a tree of life and rivers. In the new heaven, the river of life flows from the throne of God with a tree of life growing on each side of it. In Eden, there are plants and fruit to eat. In the new heaven, the tree of life bears fruit every month. And it, and its season, and the parallels continue. One of the interesting things to note as you read these is that there is a city, the new Jerusalem, that comes down from heaven into the new creation. It's the bride of Christ. Now, physics change in the new creation. Things are just different. And when you look at the, the city that comes down, the Bible describes it, that it has an angel that goes and measure, measures it, and it's over... 2,200 kilometres long, 2,200 kilometres wide, and 2,200 kilometres high. Now that's a problem on this planet. 2,200 kilometres, that's almost here to Melbourne. Whichever way that is. That's almost here to Melbourne. That is a long way for a city. I don't think there's any city on earth that would come close to that size. But it's also 2,200 kilometres high. Now, at 100 kilometres on this planet, you, re you reach uh, a point which is called the Kamia line, and that's where planes can no longer get lift from atmosphere. You need to change from the typical jet engine to a rocket-powered craft. And there's a real problem for us breathing at 100 kilometres. But the new city goes another 2,100 kilometres higher. Now the moon, our moon, is about 3,400 kilometres in diameter. So we're not a lot smaller than the moon. 
in size for this city. Are you just getting a, are you, are you getting a perspective here? Now, when you get to things that are that big, you've got a real problem with gravity. Have you ever wondered why moons are normally round and planets are round? It's because of gravity. It's when you're getting to that size, you, something cannot maintain a, the shape of a cube. It has to go to a sphere shape because the gravitational force just pulls it in. It's like the corners are mountains, the straights are valleys, and it just pulls it all into the shape of a cube. The, you can't actually hold the tension against that. Yet the Bible says that this is a 2,200 kilometer by 2,200 kilometer by 2,200 kilometer city that is in the shape of a cube. Physics have changed. Things are different in the new creation. Do you get that? It is quite different. The new heaven and earth that God talks about in Revelation is quite different. It is totally new. And with this, in, with this in mind, is it any wonder that when Jesus returns, we will need the new bodies we receive then if we're able to survive and thrive in this new creation? These bodies here, they will not cut it. Is it any wonder we need to be born again by the Spirit, ready for the new, when we come into relationship with Jesus? Here is the thing. This creation we're in right now is only the prelude to the main event. God planned and predestined for us for so much more than just here and now. He gives us purpose now, but it is in preparation for the main event. Let's have a look at, I I love the imagery in the Narnia series in the last battle where towards the end the the heroes in Narnia, uh, they they go through the stable if you've read the book, then they head in, they're following up, they come to a waterfall, they they say what are we going to do and then they start crying out further up, further in and they go up and they move forward to the next one and up and move forward to the next one and it's like, and they're saying that it gets more real the further we go in more real the further we go in. And you know, the kingdom to come is just so much more real. Have you ever wondered why Jesus can walk through walls when he returned, when he was with the disciples? It's because he was more real than, than the walls and the doors of this planet. They were effectively like a hologram. So he could just walk straight through. And we get new bodies, folks. The aches and pains will have gone. (laughs) Let's look at Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of life, uh, the the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And his servants will serve him. And his servants will serve him. That's you and me. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
They will reign forever and ever. Friends, you will reign forever and ever if you're in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ during this creation, you will reign forever and ever in the new creation. The thing about this, God planned for us before creation. He had purpose for us during the time of this creation. But he also predestined us for the main event to reign in the new creation. God designed us and planned for us to rule and reign with him in Christ. Does that excite you? And whatever happens on this planet is fleeting compared to God's kingdom in the new heaven and earth. Maria mentioned Hebrews 11 last week, uh, talking about Abraham, and the author of Hebrews says, talking about him in verse 10 of chapter 11, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is the same city described in Revelation. Abraham was over 4,000 years ago, and he could look forward and see the new creation, the new city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. He could see it. And in Hebrews 11, lists a whole series of heroes of the faith that we see in the Old Testament from, from Adam and Noah and uh, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Moses and Josh, Joseph and Joshua and um, Caleb and King David and Samuel and Elisha and Elijah and Hezekiah and Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many more listed in there. The Bible says they determined it better to look to their future, the one that we're looking for as well, and to go through whatever they needed to suffer on this planet for a better future. They had a vision picture, they had a vision story that inspired them to go the distance. And they might be watching us at this very moment. This is what Hebrews 12 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, there was a saying that preachers used to use when I was a young Christian, talking about the benefits of putting our faith in Jesus. They used to say, it's not just pie in the sky when you die, but it's steak on your plate while you wait. Who remembers that saying? And maybe 50, 60 years ago, there was a real focus on, on, on you get saved and you, it's all about going to heaven. And so they're trying to bring a, bring a shift, which has been a really positive shift because God's kingdom is here as well. And our, our purpose on this earth is to build and grow the kingdom here until the new one comes. But I think we have a lot of preaching now has become that focused 
on the here and now that we've forgotten about the pie. There is a pie there. There is, you know, our eternity is before us, friends. The only problem with that saying is whether you prefer pie or steak. Oh, and fasting, yes, yes. So maybe you really want to meditate on that statement this week. (laughs) And consequently, when the going gets tough, and it will, for each one of us, there are times when the going gets tough. If all we're focusing on is the here and now, and we've forgotten about our vision picture, our vision story way out there in the future, when the going gets tough now, we might start having these sorts of thoughts going on in our head. What have I done wrong to deserve this? Why is God letting me down now? I can't cope with this. Or some, maybe even more seriously, might be thinking, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do now, I can do what I want. We jump back into Ephesians chapter 1 and it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. The same Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters in the beginning, waiting to act. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. The same Holy Spirit who was breathed into us when we became saved, giving us life and purpose. Are you living your life with the ultimate goal in mind? Have you got a good vision picture of your future and if the band wants to come up? Do you realize that God has made you for so much more than this? And it is only in God's kingdom we will find our purpose. And that purpose is worth everything. In fact, Jesus said it is a pearl of great price that you are willing to sell everything to get. Let's stand. Ben's going to sing a song that Zoe wrote and I was, um, during the week I was having a look at the lyrics of the song again and they really tie into what I'm talking about. As, as, as we're singing and worshipping, just think, do I really grasp the enormity of what God has for me and what he has done for me?